A reading from Jeremiah 1, verses 1 to 19. Jeremiah 1, verses 1 to 19. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, and to pluck you up and to break you down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance at the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls, all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you... Dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. This is the word of God. Father, your word tells us that the Bible is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. And Father, as we look back over the past week, all of us, in one way or the other, have drifted into the shadows. And so we do pray that your word may convict us, may teach us, may draw us back into the light. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. I've got a bit of a cold, so I do apologize for my voice. 
In fact, I should apologize for it every week, but anyway, there we go. This morning is going to be somewhat introductory. We're going to spend a number of weeks looking at the book of Jeremiah. And uh, what we have here is, uh, is a prophet of the Old Testament. So we need to understand, as we launch this series, some introductory things about prophets and how God used prophets specifically in the Old Testament. You'll notice there in verse 1 that uh, we are told that this is the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came. So prophets in the Old Testament, uh, starting with Moses, were mediators between God and his people. So God appointed, God chose prophets to, to be mediators, and especially to speak on his behalf. So the key thing about the prophets was that they brought God's word to God's people. So now, notice how, how uh, key that is in this particular passage. We read there in chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, to whom the word of the Lord came. So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to me. Uh, verse, verse 9, then, then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Verse 11, and, and, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Verse 11, 13, the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying. So the prophets in the Old Testament were speaking to the nation of Israel, bringing God's word to his people. And that has always been God's modus operandi. He speaks to us in words. And in the Old Testament, he spoke through the prophets, prophets like Moses, like Jeremiah, like, like Isaiah, like Ezekiel. And he gave them his word. But it wasn't just a generic word that sort of was up in the cloud and you just pulled it down. No, it was a word given to God's people in a certain historical context. So you'll notice there in the first three verses, we understand the context. He gave the word of God, God called him, and he started his ministry in the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah, the king of Israel. Now we know that that is the year 626 B.C., and Jeremiah prophesied from 626 B.C. until, notice the end of verse 3, the captivity of Jerusalem, which happened in 585 B.C. So his ministry as a prophet covered about 40 years. And he's speaking to God's people in a particular historical context. It was a time of great upheaval because there was a change of superpowers in the world. Just like now... The, the USA for many years has been the superpower of the world. At that time, at the time when, when Jeremiah started his ministry, the superpower of the word, world was Assyria. And during his ministry, there was, a, there was a changeover because Babylon conquered Assyria. So it was a time of great change, a time of economic, military, political upheaval where there was a change within, within the superpowers governing the known world at that time. Let me quickly give you some, uh, some background, and let's have a look at the screen. Let's look at the time map. Uh, there we have creation and the fall, 
And then we have Abraham. Abraham, you can always date around about 2000 BC. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph was one of Abraham's sons. He went to Egypt. They were then enslaved. God then sent Moses. Uh, and you had the Exodus. They went, went into the promised land with Joshua. You then have the period of the judges. After the judges, you have the monarchy. You have Saul, you have David, you have Solomon. And then you have the kingdom split into two kingdoms. You have the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel, and they split in 922. After that split, you have the ministry of most of the, most of the prophets, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah. And they were prophesying that unless the people of Israel repented from their sin, they would go into exile. And so the north went into exile through the Assyrians in 722, and the south went into exile when Jerusalem was conquered in 586. So that gives you a bit of a timeline as to where we are in terms of where you place Jeremiah. Let's quickly have a look at a map. Here we have a modern-day map of the Middle East. You have Jerusalem, Israel, and uh, what's important is that Syria was known as Assyria, and Iraq were the Babylonians. So that is, that is what, what the countries are at the present stage. At the time of Jeremiah, let's have a look at the next map. First of all, you had the Assyrian Empire, which included this whole red, uh, red portion and also that green portion. And then the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians, and their empire was this red portion a little bit smaller than the Assyrians. So there we have a timeline, there we have a map, the geography of what was happening at the time of Jeremiah. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18, where we have the first prophet, who is Moses. Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, Deuteronomy 18, and we're going to read from verse 15. Jeremiah 18, not Jeremiah, Deuteronomy, verse 15. The Lord, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are writing what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, from among your brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So what, what we have there is the start of the prophets. Moses is the first prophet, and Moses understands that the words he speaks are the words of God. It is supernatural. And Moses says, after me, there will be many other prophets who will speak to the nation of Israel. And of course, the ultimate prophet would be Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Jesus is the final prophet who brings God's word to us. So in the Old Testament, they didn't have the New Testament. God spoke to them. God led them. God guided them through the prophets who brought God's word to his people. And so here we have Jeremiah. 
speaking to God's people who have turned away from God, who have abandoned God, and he's warning God's people that unless they repent, they will face God's judgment. Now, just to note that often people think of the prophets as foretelling the future. That is not the main purpose of the prophets. Of course, they did point to the future, that if the nation of Israel didn't, didn't repent, there would be judgment. They pointed to Christ, that Christ would come to rescue his people from their sins. But their primary purpose was not to tell us the future. Their primary purpose was to be God's spokesman, calling God's people back to himself, calling God's people from their corruption, from their idolatry, from their backsliding to repent. And if they didn't repent, there would be judgment. So there we have the prophets, God's mouthpiece. The ultimate prophet is Christ. And so Christ comes, and Christ gives us his word, and there we have the final prophet. And all of that we find within the word of God. All right, so that's a bit of an introduction. Let's dig into our passage, Jeremiah chapter 1. Four principles. Principle number one. Principle number one, God works behind the scenes. Have a look at, uh, notice from verse 2, that the prophetic ministry of Jeremiah occurred during the reigns of Josiah, Jehoiakim, and up to the reign of Zedekiah, verse 3, in 586, when Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonians. It was a traumatic time in world history, because you had a change of superpowers. Babylon conquered, defeated, smashed the Assyrian Empire. And so you had this major change. Let's imagine uh, that, um, that we lived through a major change. Let's imagine that, 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 that the USA, which is, at, which is at present the superpower of the world, let's imagine in the next couple of months, the next couple of years, China becomes the superpower of the world. Imagine that. And suddenly you have, you have the Chinese flag flying over the White House. And suddenly you have CNN based uh, in Beijing, and they speak Mandarin. And you go to McDonald's, and you don't get hamburger and chips, you get sweet and sour pork. <laughs> now that's the context in which Jeremiah is prophesying. There is a major political, economic, military upheaval. And God's great concern, by the way, is not political or economic. God's great concern is that his people have turned away from him. His bride has deserted her groom. God's concerned that they've hardened their hearts against God. And so he sends Jeremiah to alert them that unless they repent, there will be judgment. Now, at that time, most people would have known who King Josiah was. Most people would have known who King Jehoiakim was and King Zedekiah was. But I don't think verse 2 and verse 4 would have made the front pages of the Babylonian times. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me. You see, those aren't things that would automatically appear on CNN, breaking news. No, God is quietly working behind the scenes, raising up a prophet, speaking to his people, 
getting the gospel out. See, God's kingdom is almost always behind the scenes. Almost always it's like a seed. You can't see it, and it's quietly growing. It's quietly, quietly, uh, they're green shoots. There's life. God's kingdom is very rarely in the headlines or on the stage or in the lights. It's God working mysteriously, unseen, unheralded, moving, acting, speaking, and yet unrelentingly committed to accomplishing his purposes. So think about this. If I was to, if I was to um, save the world from death, from sin, from Satan, from evil, well, I would, I would call in Microsoft, I would call in Google, I would call in the CIA, I would call in military jets. But God doesn't do that. No, he speaks to a young girl, a virgin, in the back end of the Roman Empire. And he says, you will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. My dear friends, that wouldn't have made the front page. That happened in the back end of the Roman Empire. God often works behind the scenes, often in mysterious ways, unseen, unheralded, accomplishing his purposes. Who would have thought that a man dying on a cross, a kind of a peasant country preacher, dying on a cross, manhandled by Roman soldiers, deserted by his friends, despised by the authorities, who would have thought that that man would become the pivot of history, the savior of the world? God accomplishing his purposes behind the scenes. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm watching the news, what's happening with, with Donald, what's happening with China, what's happening in Zimbabwe, what's happening in our own country, I wonder to myself, what effect does Christchurch Midrand have? I don't even think we make the headlines of the Midrand Reporter. And yet, God is accomplishing his purposes quietly through people like you and me, bringing up a baby, bringing up a young child, taxiing your kids here and there every afternoon. The words you say, the love you do, your marriage, your family, the witness of someone in an office. It's unseen. It's unheralded. We teach our children the Bible here at church, at home. Who knows what seed, what fruit will come from that seed? So we must never minimize the small things in life. We must never despise the small things in life. Here we have the word from God to Jeremiah. No one knows. In fact, no one cares. And yet God is accomplishing his purposes. God works behind the scenes. So don't despair. Don't think God is not working. Of course he's working to accomplish his purposes. All right, secondly, will you notice that God speaks through human agents? So the focus from chapter 2 onwards is God's message to the nation of Israel. The focus here in chapter 1 is God's messenger. 
And it's God's call on Jeremiah to be his spokesman, to be his representative, to be his mouthpiece. From verse 4, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Our Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plot. So it's true that God calls all of us to be witnesses of what we have experienced in Christ. It's true that all of us are to be ready to give an answer when people ask us about Christ. It's also true that God gives gifts to the church for some to teach and to preach. However, what we have here is unique. We can't take this passage and apply it to ourselves directly. God is specially calling and appointing Jeremiah to be his mouthpiece, to be his spokesman, to give us God's word. So we know that God has spoken in different ways. He's spoken in creation. We see his power, his majesty. He's spoken in our consciences. But primarily, he has spoken through his word. And so the Old Testament is given to us by prophets. God gave his word to the prophets. In the New Testament, God gave his word to the apostles. That's why in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul talks about the Christian church as a building which is built upon the apostles and the prophets. Prophets from the old prophets who gave us the Old Testament, apostles who gave us the New Testament, and the cornerstone, of course, is Jesus. You see, what we have here is unique. There's no new revelation. God is not giving us new words. So I'm very cynical when I hear of people who've had visions and dreams and thus says the Lord. Of course, God will lead us and God will guide us in different ways through other people, through circumstances, through his word. Of course, he will lead us and guide us, but there's no new revelation. We don't add those visions and dreams people have to the back of our Bibles. Why? Because it's not the unique word of God. What we have here is unique. I don't expect to experience verse 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now, in an indirect sense, when someone is teaching and preaching, hopefully that is the word of God. But it's not the same as Jeremiah. God specifically gave Jeremiah his word so that the words that he spoke, the words that he wrote, is the actual word of God. So I would be very cynical of people saying, thus says the Lord, inverted commas, as if these are the actual words of God. No, no, no. If we want to hear the word of God, turn to to Jeremiah, turn to Mark's gospel, turn to Ephesians. There we can be absolutely sure that is the word of God. 
Second thing to notice is that there's a partnership between God and Jeremiah. God speaks through human agents. So notice there, verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, but there are also, verse 2, the word of the Lord. Verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to me. It wasn't Jeremiah's word, no, it was the Lord's words, but they came to Jeremiah. Verse 7, but the Lord said to me, verse 9, then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, so there's a partnership, the source, the origin is God. God is giving us his revelation. God is speaking to us through his word, but he uses human agents. So he used the prophets of the Old Testament, Moses and Elisha and Elijah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Amos. He uses the apostles in the New Testament, Paul and Peter and James and John. And he uniquely uses them to give us God's word. Have a look at 2 Peter chapter 1 where Peter tells us how it worked out, how it panned out, how it fleshed out, this partnership between God speaking and God speaking through men. 2 Peter chapter 1. Two Peter chapter 1 verse 20. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, that includes Jeremiah, that includes the whole of the Old Testament, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Christian faith is supernatural. There's no question about that. We have a supernatural God, we have a supernatural Messiah, we have a supernatural conversion, and we have a supernatural book. And Peter tells us that what happened, that when he was writing, when Paul was writing, when Jeremiah was writing, when Matthew was writing, the source, the origin of their message, of the actual words they wrote, were God. And yet God used them. He used their personality. He used their vocabulary. He used their style of, of communicating to give us the word of God. In fact, there's a verb there in verse 21 but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That, that verb, carried along, is a nautical uh, verb where a fishing boat would go and leave the port and then raise its sails and the wind would then carry along that little boat. The wind would drive it along. And so what Peter is saying is that when Jeremiah wrote and Jeremiah uh, spoke, the Spirit of God was upon him so that the very words he wrote was God's word. A partnership. The origin, the source is God. And God uses human agents to give us his word. Third principle. God knows us personally. Have a look at verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So the second half of that verse is unique to Jeremiah because he is uniquely called to be a prophet. He's appointed as a prophet. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. But the first half of the verse applies to all of us. And, and, and the reason I say that is because it's taught throughout the scriptures. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. 
Turn to Psalm 139, verse 13. Psalm 139, verse 13. Here we have the same words, the same terminology. The psalmist is speaking about the omniscience of God, that God knows everything, the omnipresence of God, that God is present everywhere. And he tells us, it's a well-known psalm, it's one of my favorite psalms, verse 13, for you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. So God doesn't only know all things. It's God who created us. God formed you in the womb. God knew you. Before you were born. Now if that's true, which it is, it changes everything. Let me mention three things. It changes how we think of ourselves. I am not here. You are not here as a product of chance or fate or luck. A product of blind, purposeless forces. You're not an accident. You know how some couples, you, uh, uh, they're falling pregnant and um, they sheepishly tell you uh, this wasn't really planned. And they're a little bit sheepish. And some of you are here this morning. Um, well, you may not have planned the baby, but God planned the baby. It's God who planned us. We were a twinkle in God's eye before the creation of the world. Do you know that? Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, you have the same echo of these words, of the thinking. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. So God knew you even before you were conceived. He knew the color of your hair. He knew your weight, your height, the fingerprints on your fingers, the date of your birth, the date of your death, your conversion. None of that is a surprise to God. You see, sometimes, sometimes we fall in discouragement or despair. Perhaps you've lost a job, and so you feel ashamed, you feel a failure. Perhaps you've been abused, and that can have unbelievable emotional, psychological consequences, which affects your self-confidence, your self-image. Perhaps you come from a dysfunctional family and you know the trauma that that brings. The Bible is saying you are not an accident, not here by chance. This is not luck. I made you, I created you, I knit you together before the creation of the world. I knew you, I loved you, I chose you. I have a purpose for you. See the hope that brings us, the sovereignty of God, He knew us before our birth, and his purposes in our lives will be accomplished. Second thing it means is that it means there are no insignificant people. There are no expendable people. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called No Little People. I mean, that's a great title, isn't it? No Little People. Everyone matters. Other people matter. There's no expendable people. We can't step on people and use people and 
manipulate people. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. They have infinite value. We talked about, talked about abortion two, three weeks ago. Well, here once again we are told that God knew us before we were born. God formed us in the womb. We are human beings from conception with dignity and value. See how important this principle is. God knows us personally. He knows where you are right now. Perhaps at night you have your head on the pillow and there are hot tears that flow off your, off your cheeks. Perhaps no one knows. You think no one knows. God knows. That's why we can call upon him and cry to him. He knows, he cares, he formed us, he made us, he loves us. Well, lastly, let's have a look at the principle God's message never changes. So God gives Jeremiah two visions. Back to, back to Jeremiah, two visions. The first one is verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well. For I am watching over my word to perform it. Now, Anathoth, which I said was just a short walk away from Jerusalem, was well known for its almonds. In fact, to this day, they grow almonds. The Hebrew word for almond means watching. So the Lord says, what do you see? Jeremiah sees, says, I see an almond tree. The Lord says, you have seen well. For I'm watching over my word to perform it. So what is, what is God saying? God is saying, when I've given my word, it will be accomplished. It will come to pass. So if we, we look at the Bible, Adam and Eve, God said, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will die. And that's what happened. They died. God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation that I will bless all nations through you. And here we are, the children of Abraham. God said to Jeremiah that unless the nation of Israel repent, I will judge them. And he did that by conquering Jerusalem in 585 BC. God promised the Old Testament prophets that in the line of Abraham from the tribe of Judah, from the branch of David, there would be a Messiah, a Messiah born of a virgin, a Messiah born in Bethlehem. That happened. Christ, Christ said, they will arrest me, they will try me, they will crucify me, and on the third day I will rise from the dead. And it happened. And now Jeremiah says, or rather Jesus said, I will ascend into heaven and I will return and bring human history to a close as you know it. And there will be judgment. I think it's pretty reasonable to think that if all these other threats and promises came true, so his threats and promises for the future will also come true. So you need to be very careful not to write off God, not to write off Jesus, not to write off the Bible, not to write off the promises and the threats of God because you'll come off second best. The second vision is verse 13. 
the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands." So there's a vision of a boiling pot from the north. Babylon was coming in from the north, about to pour judgment on Israel. And Jeremiah says that unless you repent, you will face the judgment of God through the agent of Babylon. And they didn't repent. And in 585 BC, Jerusalem was conquered. Let me close and say it's not all doom and gloom. If we do not repent, my dear friends, Jeremiah is speaking to us as well. If we do not repent, if you do not repent, you will also face God's judgment. The Bible is very clear about that because God is a holy God. But he's also a loving God who says to Jeremiah, verse 19, They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Verse 10 there will be judgment. I will pluck up and break down. I will destroy and overthrow. But there's also grace. I will build and plant. God's message never changes. You know how people say the Old Testament deals with judgment, the New Testament deals with love? It's not true. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 25, then the unrighteous will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. John 3.36, Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. The Old Testament and New Testament have the same message. There is judgment if there's no repentance. There is grace if you turn to him. My dear friends, every one of us will face God's judgment unless we cling to Christ. It's the only answer. It's the only refuge. It's the only way out from our own sinfulness and brokenness. Christ has come to rebuild, to plant a new plant, to change us, to bring us joy, to bring us purpose. But unless you turn to him, none of those things will apply. Well, let's pray. Father, I do pray that you will help all of us not to minimize the word of God. Will you help all of us who are in the shadows to confess our brokenness our sinfulness, and to call on Christ for mercy, that he may plant and rebuild a new life. Father, we thank you that Christ came precisely to rescue us from the judgment that Jeremiah talks about. 
Father, will you convict us? Will you expose our sinfulness? Will you expose the gods and the idols that we worship instead of Christ? And will you draw us back to yourself? And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.